Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Wade Fishing for Trout and Drum, and I'm going to be talking to Captain Joe Tunstall of Carolina Traditions Guide Co. out of the Beaufort area, and we're going to be talking about when and where. We're going to be looking at times, tides, conditions. We're going to be talking about, of course, the how, the tactics to employ, and of course, uh, Joe being the conscientious person he is, we're going to finish with some safety considerations. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post, and Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series, and is in this series that we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And I am joined this episode, just as I am every episode by Billy Thorpe of Thorpe creative. Billy, welcome back to the show. Got a good friend joining us tonight. Easy guy to talk to. I'm, I'm a fan of his analogies. I'm a fan of his vocabulary. I'm a fan of his knowledge. I'm a, basically a fan of Joe Tunstall and I'm already looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, man. Well, it sounds like you're one step away from getting his name tattooed on your ass, Gary. I am. I am. I mean, you know, one, you know, one more good fishing day, and I, you know, I might get, I might get that. I, I'm gonna go ahead and need Jeff's face right here on my arm, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm pretty excited. It was a, it's a pretty fun pre-show. We have a lot of fun with these pre-shows, by the way. We should record them and and uh, and give people. Well, no, we shouldn't actually. Well, maybe we shouldn't record them. <laughs> maybe. Maybe some of us are like college professors and can't really, uh, you know, weather sort of a certain level of bad publicity. <laughs> We'd want our sponsors to be happy with us still. They might be disappointed in our <laughs> And speaking of our, our great sponsors, I'll, I'll go ahead and pitch these guys. We have Land Landscaping Company uh, here in the North Carolina area. And, uh, man, really great company looking to hire some really quality people to come be a part of their team. So if you're looking for a new career opportunity, not just a job, but a career, uh, head over there to their website, check out what they have going on. And, um, and then also if you need some service from them, head over there and check out what they do. And they do a lot of stuff, man. I mean, you go, I'm impressed. I don't, I don't even know what it all is, but it looks big stuff, little stuff, all the stuff. They do it all, whatever you can think of here. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the mark, I think, of part of the mark of their success, man, is they have such a great a wide array of offerings. And as we sort of pitch here on the show, man, I like their style about looking to attract and keep quality talent, quality employees. And they know that that takes effort on their part. So, man, give them a look, give them a talk, give them an application and see where it goes. Yeah. If they're sponsoring our podcast, you know, they're legit. So, I mean, that's all right? you need, really. You don't need to know anything else. They support us. You like us. We look anyway. All right, enough of that. Let's talk about some Marine Warehouse. I uh, get a quick message from them, and we'll be back with, uh, I'm sure, a terrible joke. In Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats. We have parts. We have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have it. 
At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I just got to pull this one up, man. I, I love their stuff. Look at that cool patch hat. So they get plenty of these. I know all you guys out there, guys and gals, you want gear. So go get your gear. If nothing else, go support our sponsors. They support us. Uh, so if it's not a boat, which it could be, uh, should be, but if you're like me, that's not in your wheelhouse right now. Thanks, honey. Uh, <laughs> go, buy, go buy a hat. <laughs> well, I have it straight from Danielle here in the office that they have come out with a whole new line of clothing and apparel for the spring, for the season ahead. And Danielle has said, man, Gary, you should go by and take a look at it. It's really cool stuff. You know, as part of the fish post process of offering apparel, like if Danielle's impressed, then I want to see what has impressed her. You know, one, maybe I'll pick up something too. Maybe I'll steal their ideas for fish post apparel. I, I don't, I mean, I roll that way. It's called inspiration, not stealing, Gary. Okay, good. I like that inspiration. I'm going to go there and get inspired. All right. Yeah, man, they're real detailed. They, you know, they're, they're doing quality stuff. I mean, just it's a reflection of what they do in their everyday business, you know, so it's like, Except for jokes. I mean, they are top notch, but jokes, I don't know. And Terrell apparently knows that Joe is something of a kayak fisherman. So he actually has more of a paddle joke for, for uh, us tonight instead of a, a true boat joke or fish joke. Are you ready for Terrell's joke? Not mine. I'm, I'm ready. Well, Billy, there was a paddle sale, a paddle sale at Bass Pro Shops. And it was quite an ordeal. Or <laughs> That's deal. Pretty That's pretty funny. That's a good one. Is That's it? Funny. Yeah. Is it? I'm going to send Bass Pro Shop an invoice for mentioning them on the show, but then the ordeal is <laughs> funny. That's a good one. <laughs> Academy Sports. Did Academy you hear about the paddle sale at Academy Sports? That's better. We'll see those guys soon. That's better, Gary. You're working. All right. I get the game. I know the game. <laughs> All right. You want to see a fish picture? Because I got one yes. lined up. For All right. Here we go. We got Sierra Cook of Washington, North Carolina, caught this 35-inch red drum on a DOA shrimp while fishing from a creek bank in Oak Island. I don't know if I've caught a good-looking red like that off of a boat, more or less a creek bank. So right. Right. Well, I'm, I mean, I don't know the size of the red drum, but Joe's getting ready to talk to us about getting out of the boat and walking around and catching some fish. So it seemed like a creekside fish was appropriate for this podcast, man. But yeah, man, quite a catch. Yeah, man, it, it's good looking fish. Good looking fish. And uh, she was wearing a UNCW shirt. So keeping it local all around, like it. All right. I didn't even notice that, man. Good for her. I'm optimistic. You know, I'm not optimistic. I'm an observationalist or whatever you call it, Gary. I don't know. You, you're the English teacher. You can use the big words. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do as I do, which is remind you of Billy's best takeaway following my conversation with Captain Joe Tunstall. But also, as I've been doing lately, is a quick plug for weekly fishing reports on Fisherman'sPost.com. Delivered behind a paywall. The newspaper is still monthly. The newspaper is still free. And the website will still offer free monthly fishing reports. But if you've been thinking, I wish I had more current information, 
from a source like Fisherman's Post, then we have heard you and we are delivering, again, weekly inshore fishing reports delivered behind a paywall, um, audio and video delivery, and excited about this project, as excited about this project as I've been about just about any Fish Post project in a while. Maybe the podcast. Maybe this is my new podcast excitement. Yeah, man. It's going to be good. I'm excited to be working on it alongside of Fisherman's Post as well. So, um, and we know anything I do, Gary, is just next level. So I'm pretty excited for you guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we, we do. We try to do our best, get the best software. And I mean, we've been working hard behind the scenes to make the puzzle come together. So we're really excited to present it. Pretty proud of it. So I'm excited. All right. But that does not get you out of Billy's best takeaway. And you got to pay attention to Joe, man. He is, he will drop some knowledge on you, paying attention, and you will be smarter. I, that I can promise you. After 30 minutes of talking to Joe, listening to Joe, you'll be smarter. Well, I'm excited, Gary. Now, 30 minutes of listening to you, I don't know, but 30 no. minutes. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. I'll see you guys on the other side of it. All right. My pleasure to introduce to the show, back to the show, Captain Joe Tunstall. Carolina Traditions Guide Co. out of the Beaufort area. Joe, fun to be talking to you again. Fun to be making jokes about you before I bring you on. Fun to be talking to you now. Hey, Gary. Yeah, it's good to have you on. Uh, I want to go ahead and apologize. This is where all the magic happens back here. The fly bench, all the lures, reels are spooled up. Everything happens back here. So it's a little messy, but, you know, all that's good stuff back here. So good to be on, and I appreciate you guys tolerating my mess back here. Well, I like some authenticity, man. I like I like the location you picked, but that location doesn't get you out of your two questions, sir. You still have two questions to get through before we begin the main event. When you tell me you're ready, I'll start the questions. Hit me, Gary. I'm ready, baby. Question number one, Captain Joe Tunstall. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a red, anything about a trout, anything about wade fishing for that matter? Why should we listen to you tell us to get out of the boat? Uh, that's a really good question, Gary. It's hard enough to get a lot of people out of the boat, but most of the time when the water's warm enough, if I can get somebody out of the boat and, and they hold up their first 30-inch redfish caught in, you know, between knee and waist-deep water that was right in front of them, most of the time they're pretty happy, you know. So I'd say results are where it's at, and the only way you're going to get the results is to give it a try, either on your own or with me, one or the other. So Or go to Texas and do it. But, <laughs> All right. Well, let's keep it in North Carolina and let's move on to question number two. This is something of a trivia question. I guess we call it trivia. So you're going to be talking to us about walking in water. And this question deals with walking on water. No, it's not about Jesus. I want you, I want to know, Joe, are you able to name an animal that can walk on water? Wow, man. That's There's good. one you can find probably in your backyard. I'm pretty sure I've seen lizards move fast enough to walk on water. Yeah, there is. There's a couple of types of lizards that can do it. I don't think they're North Carolina lizards, but they are basilic or pygmy geckos. The one in your backyard, I guess this qualifies. They group together and float. Fire ants, man. Fire ants will group together and float in a flood until it recedes, and then they have a new locale. And then, you know, then there's a couple others, a type of spider, some other stuff. But enough of enough of walk on water trivia. How about wade fishing? How about 
And again, I'm, we're focusing our conversation for tonight's purposes on springtime. So as far as springtime and wade fishing opportunities, talk to me about the when and the where. All right. Springtime wade fishing opportunities. Most of the time, I like to pick the last part of the incoming and the whole falling tide for wade fishing opportunities. You can fish the incoming, and it's going to be um, – about time your water starts hitting 60 degrees 58 to 60 degrees is when you're going to get your your best most exciting weight fishing opportunities uh and and it's going to be good depending on how hot it gets through about the first week of july uh you can weight fish pretty much all year round more or less but the best of the best is going to happen as that water is approaching 60 degrees that's when your fish are going to get fired up they're going to start their metabolisms are going to pick up and they're going to start getting fired up and feeding on the surface with those, you know, tiny little peanut pogies that come in, little tiny menhaden, and also those mullet minnows that are going to push up on those grass bed edges. Uh, so for all intensive purposes, we'll say from, you know, early April through early July. And so in early April, it picks up because the metabolisms are kicked in, and so they're just looking for opportunity. They're actively working, what, these flats areas, I guess, is what we're going to talk about. And then yes, and then before you follow up on that, what is it about July that kind of slows the opportunities down? Water gets real hot, and they're going to be a little bit deeper. It's like the opposite of wintertime fishing. They're, they're going to move a little bit deeper, and, and you can still wade fish for them, but sometimes you'll wade fish a little bit deeper than you want to. And that's kind of when your boat fishing is going to be more of your primary fallback. And, and you're going to have to mind your tides a little bit more. As that water gets warm, it's, it gets too hot for them. They don't want to. It, it's it's slight opposite effect of when it's cold. Their metabolism slowed down in cold water in the summertime. Uh this similar thing happens their their metabolism and they'll only eat during specific times because the water is going to be so warm i mean think about it gary i mean you know you don't want to eat a cheeseburger in the sauna you know it's too daggum hot so you know you want you want to be able to sit down in a nice cool place be comfortable eat your meal they're the same way that's what they're looking for they want they want comfort just like we do it's just their their mindset's a little bit different they're more on primary as far as what their their primary target's going to be, their primary mindset is what they fall back to. But it just gets too hot. Water gets too hot in July. Uh, have to hit it more tide sensitive. And early morning and late evening is still good in July, but it's just more tide sensitive. So to go back to the spring fishery when this is kicking off, I mean, I, one, I could guess at the answer, but I, I'd rather have you tell me. And that question would be, why do you like the falling tide better? And then the other question, you, which you just sort of brought up, is like, aside from tide, does time of day matter in the springtime, or is that really just a summer variable? Early morning is still going to be optimal. Early morning for, when you're talking, if you want to talk more specifically about trout, early morning and late evening is going to be better just because I think they, again, it's going to warm up faster. But the, the one thing that I talk a lot about in my seminars is, is both a lot of species, but especially trout and drum, they're always paying attention to what's above their head. Um, you know, I had a gentleman ask me in, in, in a seminar one time, he said, well, Captain Joe, he said, well, what are you trying to tell me is going to come down and pick up a 50 inch redfish? 
And I told the gentleman, I said, well, sir, I said, I don't believe that redfish knows he's 50 inches any more than my lab knows he's 85 pounds. He just knows that for his whole life, he's had to worry about what's overhead. So when the sun gets high, I believe that it, it triggers their base instinct and they don't want to come up to the surface and feed quite as easy. That doesn't mean you won't catch drum or trout in the middle of the day on a falling tide or an incoming tide. Um, it just means that they prefer when the sun's at a lower angle uh, it, it, to come and feed from the surface. Um, now, you know, as far as trout goes or drum go, you can catch them probably on about any tide. And as far as being specific on the tide goes, why I like the falling tide, because those fish are, they want to get up on that grass flat, the really shallow area. So either with the falling tide, they're going to be backing off the grass flat, coming back onto the deeper edge, or with the incoming tide, they're going to be pushing up on the grass flat. Now, why I prefer the falling tide, and a lot of it depends on the area. If you've got an area that's going to hold enough water on low tide that has submerged grass underneath, clam grass or eel grass, if you've got an area that's good enough that you can wade that's going to have 8 or 10 inches of water in it, then you're going to be fine. But what, what happens is as that tide falls back, those fish are going to move off of that grass down onto that edge. And so also the reverse when the tide comes in, they're going to push up onto that grass. And so what happens is you're wading around in the water and up behind you is a trout, which is cool. You know, I mean, if you're paying attention to that, but a lot of what will happen is you're focusing on an edge or something like that. And you literally cannot cover the whole flat when you're trying to, to wade fish it on an incoming tide. It doesn't mean you can't. You certainly, we catch fish on an incoming tide all the time, but as far as to group those fish up and move them towards that edge where you have a specific target area in mind, because it, it, it's like anything, except you're not able to cover as much ground on a boat. You have to walk and cover that ground. And so when you're walking, you want those fish to push back on that edge. So when we steer this conversation a little bit to where and of course no one's expecting you to pull up a google earth map and start showing us but i guess already i know we're talking about grass flats and i i, I mean are we talking for you is this a primary activity in like the core sound area or are you going outside other areas and for people who aren't in the core sound or even around beaufort like what is the habitat you know we're not talking about specific locations but what is the habitat that anyone wants to look for to hopefully have success with this try with this type of fishing. All right. Sure. Gary, I actually don't have a problem. I mean, not in specific spots, but I don't have a problem. I, I wait fish bogue sound. I wait fish core sound. You, there's places in, um, the Newport river that you could wade fish just about anywhere where you believe that there is a transition or if you step off into the bottom, you're not going to sink up to your waist in mud. Uh, those aren't the areas, obviously, that you want to be wade fishing. Most of the areas that I'm going to target wade fishing, you're going to have, and a lot of bogue sound is like this. I'm sure people who will download this podcast will know somebody or, or have been to either side of bogue sound where there's grass beds down those edges. Uh, there's lots of houses and docks there. I've caught fish between several of them and, and, and know that fish are caught there but really it can be anywhere it can be the, the deuce river the pamlico sound anywhere that you have a, a grass bed edge that's going to come up to a, a discernible bank you know where a house is or a dock and especially if you know there's some flow where it's going to drop off to three or four feet and you got a nice 
textured grass flat there and you may see some crab pots or something off the end of it i'm generally looking for crab pots if i, I know there's grass there and i see crab pots on that end then i know there's a transition and i know most likely there's going to be on low tide at least 12 or 14 inches of water there which in the warmer months as we come into the spring and parts of the summer is all you need all you need is enough water for those fish to be able to come up and feed and move back down and not feel threatened from an osprey or whatever from above. Um, so anywhere that you're going to have a grass bed that's going to transition to a slightly deeper edge and any bottom that you can comfortably wade in uh, without sinking up to your knees or waist in mud. Um, I, I'll either do, I'll work right off the edge of a really hard bottom or I prefer just a little bit of mud, like people like to look for flounder when they're flounder gigging in, where you may sink in about a half or three-quarter of an inch, just a little mud line over top of a hard bottom is the type of bottom that I'm going to look for. So, I mean, I, I think you said this, but just to make sure, so the, so the deeper water nearby, and we're just talking three to four, not deep, deeper water, it just gives them comfort. They like hanging out in a spot like that where they can disappear into deeper water if they feel something isn't quite right. That's correct. Yes, sir. But it doesn't need to be too deep because then they have to watch their backs from sharks. So it like that, that 10, 10 inches, 10, well, let's say, let's say 12 or 14 inches to about three and a half or four foot. Now it can go right on down to six foot of water, depending on the edge. It depends on how much grass you have. Um, but you do want a little bit of a, a, a contour where it'll go from the bank down a little bit. You'll have some, some dips in the grass and then it'll come to an edge, usually where some crab pots will be before it drops off to six, seven, eight feet. Cause they, they also have to be mindful of what's coming up behind them like a shark or whatever uh, are also from above as far as like a osprey or something of that nature. So if I'm, if I'm on your boat and we're going wade fishing and you've got a spot in mind and we come and anchor up and you're putting me out of the boat, I guess, I mean, there's, I have so many questions cause I am, I am intrigued by this, but I guess off the bat before you sort of send me on, am I out looking for both red drum and trout or will you basically tell the client, tell me, Hey, in this situation, we're more red drum fishing or in this situation, we're more trout fishing. That's a great question, Gary. I, I was hoping you'd get to why would I want to put you out of the boat anyway? So I'm going to backtrack on that. The reason I like to get out of the boat is, is when you're trying to move a boat, as you saw in a recent fishing trip with me the other day, uh, polling obviously is good, but all conditions don't, don't dictate the ability to be able to pull. Uh, and also, as that boat moves through a shallow area, it's pushing water, making displacement. And Sometimes they don't care if the fish are really fired up. It's not going to matter. They're going to be there eating, but quite often than not, if those fish have been pressured or the conditions of the day, it's a bluebird clear day or something, they're going to be a little more savvy to a disturbance. And so even trying to pole a boat, that's why, you know, people fish technical polling skiffs and stuff like that because they move through the water very gracefully and they don't displace very much. Whereas a boat like I run, a Jones Brothers, is going to displace the water as it moves through a shallow area. And then you're going to have things like you heard me the other day talking about wave slap and stuff like that. And then if you're falling back on a trolling motor, if, if you 
you know, have a malfunction of the troll motor or you slip up and hit a button wrong or have to turn abruptly, that's going to make a disturbance. So backing up to why I like to get out of the boat in the first place is because when you know you're on fish or if you're in a fishy area and you're hunting fish, you're going to get a better opportunity to get on those fish and stay on those fish, wade fishing. And, and to me, it's just a more intimate experience. Being able to be out there and be in the water and see those fish when it all comes together, sometimes right under your feet or 20 or 30 feet from me or 40 feet, you know, 50 feet at, at a good maximum distance, there's something really special about it. So um, getting out of the boat, what we're going, what I generally do with clients is I will pull into an area with my boat. I know it's a good bottom for wade fishing. I'll see those fish like we saw the other day. I'll see a slick or a disturbance or something like that. And then I'll say, okay, the fish are right there. So what we're going to do is we're going to get out of the boat. I'm going to grab hold of the boat or I'm going to pin it down. Sometimes I'll walk along with the boat, um, keeping it out of the way and letting the client get ahead of me once he gets zeroed in on those fish. But I'm going to put them either they're going to be fishing an edge towards some crab pots, for example, or I'm going to be very specific and I'm going to say right there at 1130 over there, you want to cast and then I'm going to tell them what to do. So either I've already seen those fish and I know that getting out of the boat is going to be the best way to stay on them or uh, what we're doing is we're going to cover a certain edge and I just feel like those fish are going to be spooky. Um, those are the two main reasons that that I would have that I would say, hey, Gary, let's get out of the boat right here because I know that we're going to have a better a better opportunity to stay on those fish uh, or. Uh, I know exactly where those fish are. I want to stay on them or we need to cover some ground because these fish are typically spooky. And in this early spring fishery or spring fishery, am I just wearing my, you know, something on my feet and shorts or are you fine for comfort level? You got to have some kind of layer protecting the skin. Um, it depends. Is if that water's in its 60s, then most of the time I've acclimated because the air temperature is warm enough. Uh, I'll, I'll fish in some lightweight pants and uh, a performance shirt, uh, something of that nature. Right now, I, I went weight fishing the other day after the time change when these fellas finished up at my house here. Uh, I went down and went weight fishing. The tides were really low, and so I could walk way out into a bay that I like to fish, uh, part of the same bay we were fishing the other day. And uh, I was able to walk two grass points out from where my truck was, which is quite some distance. It's probably six, 700 yards. And I was using my chest waders for that. And I had wading boots on. I actually have boots that are made for wade fishing. You'll see the guys wear them when they're bone fishing or permit fishing and stuff like that. Uh, so you can put those on with your shorts or your performance pants. Uh, if I know the bottom's good and clean, I'll just get out of the boat at the spur of the moment and do a barefoot. Um, you know, it, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, again, I kind of like having when the bottom's good, having contact with the bottom, that helps me learn more about fishing spots. It helps me learn what that bottom texture is like, why I find those fish there, and I'll make a mental note of that as I go on to other places that'll hold fish. Um, so, the, you know, as far as gear goes, when it warms up, shorts and a performance shirt or whatever, or, or performance pants and a performance shirt. When it's colder, obviously, and if you're uncomfortable in, in 60, 62 degree water, you know, wear your chest waders with, with your wading boots or, or a little trick, a little hack 
is I buy a size bigger uh, dive boots like you would put over your dive suit. And I wear those. Uh, they move stealthily in the bottom. They Usually if you buy a size bigger, they fit over top of your stocking foot waders. And, you know, they're 50, 60 bucks. They're cheap. They, they move well. And that's what I like to use. You can also use them for wading boots too. So, man, if I'm, I follow all that. Now, what do I have in my hand? Like what, again, and I guess I would say again, and do you, have you put something in my hand that will work for both red drum and trout? Or have you made the decision that we are targeting red drum more now or trout more now? And that affects what you put in my hand. Well, in the warm weather, in the warm weather, most of my clients are going to use a spinning rod. I like to use the bait caster because it's just more efficient. If you're good with a bait, bait caster, if you're proficient with it, it's just it's one less action that you have to do opening the bell. You just hit the thing and click it all day long. You make six, seven hundred casts, you're good. Um, most of what we're using when that water approaches sixty degrees, I like using smaller top water lures. Um, I fish a lot of Rapalas. That's the little skitter walk in the gold color, gold mullet, I think it's called. Um, you know, and, and I like the smaller one because a lot of times these fish are shallow. The water's quiet in the morning or the evening, and the smaller one is a lot more subtle, and you're fishing shallower water, so the sound, the sound that the smaller one makes is a little bit better for smaller water. Um, the silver mullet, which is this guy right here, he's probably my favorite. He's probably my favorite all around, the silver mullet. I mean, I would either pick white or the silver mullet for an all-around color, uh, but again, you'll notice it's that smaller skitter walk. Got that higher pinch bead inside of it. Um, another good one, if I'm covering a deeper graft bed or working an edge, I like the, uh, I don't believe this is it, but I fish either the skitter V or the one knocker. And that's mostly what you're going to be throwing. Louder, louder bearing inside of that one for calling fish into deeper water. Most of the time, we're working top water if we're going to be wade fishing. Um, we'll also work some spoons. Uh, we'll work some spoons. That was actually one of my wade fishing boxes right there. You'll notice uh, I don't spend, you know, I've got a lot of fishing boxes, but I make a lot of my own boxes too. You'll notice the gasket seal on that, and it locks down, you know, and so... For weight fishing, that's a good box, and you can actually take something, and there's these holes inside here. You can run like a lanyard in there, and you can just tow it behind you or whatever because most of the lures that I use for here, I'm traveling very minimal, and they're going to get wet anyway, so you need to rinse them off. But if you keep that seal good, that box will stay dry, and it's just going to float behind you. And if you have like – I'll use like a piece of 80-pound mono, and I'll crimp it. And I'll put a snap swivel on there or I'll put a, a loop in or something and, and put a little, you know, like a clip or something on there. Um, you know, but but a lot of these top waters, I think I got the pearl in there. I, I run a lot of these small top waters is what we'll be fishing for. You know, uh, that's my main main thing. We'll use soft plastics. We'll use gold spoons. Um, we'll use uh uh, fat boys are real popular. Uh, the Paul Brown's fat boy by mirror lure. That's a great lure for wade fishing because you can work it different ways and keep it up over the grass flat. But the problem with that is once the blue fish shows up, that becomes an extremely expensive habit. So a lot of what I do entails, cause as the water approaches 60 degrees, the blue fish show up. And so, you know, we're going to have a top water lure on 20 or 25 pound, 
um, monofilament. And, uh, you know, if you like a bait caster, you're going to have a bait caster. We're going to have a, 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 a kind of a, a medium light spinning rod is what we're going to be using. Uh, you want something to tote your water around with you or something like that. But that's what you're going to step out of the boat with. So I'm guessing like, you know, just about everyone's favorite top is top water. Even if they don't know their favorite is a top water, if they're, you know, new to fishing and on your boat as a client. So what would be the conditions where you're saying – Man, it's just not top water isn't optimum. I'm gonna I'd rather tie on a soft plastic or a spoon for you today. Yeah, when it gets real choppy, when it gets real choppy, Gary, you're not gonna want to use a top water or we're gonna try I'm gonna try a bigger top water first. Um if that's the day that we're going out and, and we're gonna wade fish, I'm gonna cycle through. If it's calm, we're gonna start with the small skitter walk and then we're gonna move up to the larger sizes, either the, the one knocker or the skitter V because those smaller top waters just won't do the job in, in choppier, windier conditions. Um, and, and if that just doesn't work, then we're going to switch to a gold spoon or a, a four or five inch soft plastic, something of that nature. Uh, so wind is the big factor. Uh, water clarity, that doesn't really bother me because with top water, they're honing into sound and splash as much as anything. Um, it, it's a provocation strike, I believe, most of the time with top water. Um, but if it just isn't working, if it's too choppy, too windy, can't get that top water to perform properly, uh, you feel like there's fish around there, but you're not getting any love, then I encourage to drop down uh, to something that's either a subsurface lure, which actually, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I have a subsurface lure in here, and uh, several companies make them. You can use a, a Miradine 17. Uh, I like these Rapalas. This is a subsurface. It's the subwalk. It is called the X-Rap Saltwater Subwalk. Looks just like a mullet. And it is uh, about the size of a skitter, the small skitter bee. It's got a little keel on the back there on the side, I guess you call it. And uh, it's a subsurface lure. And so that's an option. It casts really well. It's well weighted. It has bearings inside of it. So it also makes noise and it works subsurface. Uh, because just because it's windy doesn't mean that that mullet's not down there. Those peanut pokies aren't down there. They just may be just below the surface a little bit. So uh, we'll often try a subsurface lure before we'll go straight to the bottom with a fat or closer to the bottom with a fat boy or, or a jig and an eighth or quarter ounce jig head. All right. So I got uh, one question about the baits and then I'm, I'm going to talk more about sort of covering the habitat or ask a question about covering the habitat. So I was just sitting here imagining throwing a topwater, and I was thinking to myself, you know, my experience with throwing a topwater is standing in the bow of the boat, near the bow of the boat, with my rod tipped down, walking the dog or that action. But if I'm in the water and the water's up, I'm not even above the water, I'm in the water. So is yep. that part of the challenge of finding out how to successfully work a topwater when you don't have the angle of being out of the water and above the water with the rod tipped down? Very clever, Gary. That's why I like you, man. You don't miss nothing. See, I would have forgot all about that. But that's actually a struggle that I notice with a lot of clients. And for everybody and for, you know, with my rods, I know how to work them. But with everybody's rods, like if you have a faster action rod, you can probably fish with that rod tip up at a slight angle. It's more about the cadence that you're working in. Whereas most of the time, Gary, I'm working to the side. I'm, I'm, I'm holding that. I'm standing in the water up to, you know, between my knees and my waist. And I've got that rod to the side. I've got my finger out like I'm trout fishing a mirror lure so that I can make that tip. 
just bounce is all I want to do. Blah, blah, blah. And most of the time I'm working it to the side, but even I have some rods that is better. If it's a faster action rod with a more sensitive tip, I'll hold the rod tip up at a slight angle, kind of maybe, maybe 30 degrees towards where I'm casted at. And I'll be able to work it up like that. And it's more about the cadence and, and what particular outfit that you're working. And I do like using that lighter braid, uh, 10 or 15 pound. I'm not really comfortable going with eight pound because if you've never caught a lot of trout on top water, especially in the morning or the evening, it's a whole different ball game than throwing a Miradine 17 for them in the backwater. Uh, it's not some little tap. It's a ferocious melee attack on the surface. Like it will, a lot of clients, the first time they see it, they're like, Jesus. I mean, they're just, I mean, they're blown away at how aggressive those trout are once that water starts to warm up and they're antagonized by that top water lure. Um, so, you know, you definitely want to have, you know, you might not want to use as light a gear as you would use in the wintertime for, for trout fishing, uh, but 10 or 15 pound, anything over 15 pound is going to cut off on your casting distance with that smaller top water lure. And you want to keep a lot of times, if it's a real aggressive bite, I'm switching to 25 pound leader just because of how aggressive they can be when they strike it. Um, you know, but, uh, that, that was a great question, Gary. And a lot of that depends on the rod. I would have to say that I would probably start with the rod kind of off to the left at a, at a side motion is how I would work. But if a faster tip rod, you want it pointing about 35, 30, 35 degrees. All right. So, I mean, that's a great answer. And now my next question is more about like how you're covering, you know, this grass flat or this, you know, that we've decided on. And yeah, man, if, if you're seeing the fish, then that's beautiful and that's perfect. And that's how we want every trip to go. But I'm guessing like you can't make money off of just planning on seeing fish and being able to target fish right when you pull up. So talk to me a little bit more about like, all right, we're going to work this area. We don't see fish, but we're going to work the flat, but we're going to work the areas of the flat that are most likely to hold fish or we're fan casting. Like what is our approach when we don't have a visible target if we don't know right where the fish are then we want to try to work the known edge um that would be where i would start at um like one of the areas that i fish is a shallow flat that stays covered with water on low tide but butts up to another flat that is out of the water on low tide matter of fact about three quarters of a low tide most conditions is out of the water and so what will happen is those fish will use that hard edge they'll use that hard edge to push the bait up against and ambush it. So I'm going to want to work either the deeper edge. You kind of have to know your topography. If you're going to wade fish, you got to know your topography. But with that being said, I've stepped off of the shore and started casting behind me and had fish actually either seen them or caught them or had them blowing bait up from behind me and, you know, trout in the warmer months in, uh, you know, a trout can eat from the surface a lot shallower than a drum. That's one big hurdle that a lot of people don't understand. A drum, his mouth faces down. He's, he's, his body's designed to feed primarily on the bottom, which is why they like crabs and stuff like that. So for a drum to feed on the surface, he has to have enough water to be able to come up underneath of it and turn and grab it and be able to go away. Whereas a trout's jaw, bottom jaw kind of faces out so she can come up or he and can actually grab that lure more naturally from underneath so 
that's a big discerning factor as far as what it is you're going to try to target. If drum is what you want to target, then you're probably going to want to either fish that flat when it's deeper and fish the little troughs inside the flat where it's a little bit deeper, where there's a little bit of trails in there. Like if you have grass and then it'll drop down to the mud, you'll want to fish those troughs or those drop-offs on that flat, whereas trout can be up behind you and really shallow. They'll get shallow and feed using their predatorial advantage, their, their genetic design. Whereas that drum is going to either have to wait for the water to get higher to, to surface feed. It doesn't mean you won't see their backside of the water or something of that nature. So that's what you kind of have to decide first is, is where, what is it you want to target? If it's, if it's going to be drum, then you either have to fish the flat deeper or you have to fish the drop off edge. If it's going to be trout, then they can get shallower and you want to fish actually up on the flat as the tide's falling and you can have a mix of both and you can also fan cast you can hit the hard edge on the shallow side and then you can you know make a couple of casts over there and then you can cast to where you know the deep edge where the crab pots are did that did that answer gary i mean yeah man no that was good because i i mean i remember you saying about the edge and i was just trying to make sure i was hearing that like we're not fishing like covering the whole flat we're more covering the part of the flat that drops off and not the whole flat they're not up necessarily cruising the flat but they're working that sort of change of topography as you mentioned right and as you were talking i was wondering like on this flat you know whether it's the skinny water or the drop-offs or some of the channels like are these fish are the trout and drum are they moving or are they sort of holding in spot like if if i'm steady are they going to swim by me or you've got to go and reach them most of the time they're cruising if, if it's morning or evening and you can get the right tide they're wanting to cruise up on top of that flat so you putting yourself there if you're in the right place at the right time the probability is is that you're going to see fish actually swim by you and, and that's kind of the goal. Once you see fish, you know, a 28, 29-inch drum, uh, trout, you might not always see them. You'll probably hear them feeding on something around you or behind you. But that drum, they'll swim right by you. If you're in the right place at the right time and doing the right stuff, they'll swim right by your feet. And that's usually when, when my people get, get hooked, uh, you know, pun intended, you know. So uh, it's, it's – it, it just depends on what time you're targeting. If it's an incoming tide, then, then you're probably where they want to be and they're going to swim towards you or behind you. If it's a falling tide, then they're going to be on that edge, either cruising past you towards the edge or they're, you're going to be wanting to cast that edge because you're thinking that that drum or trout is going to be patrolling that edge looking for bait that's that's wayward you know uh so it could be either again we're, we're talking on a subject of if you don't actually see the fish you're just kind of scouting an area learning where the fish are right right um so i guess what i'm getting at now well i'll i'll, I'll go to the talking points man because i think it is important i know i just know from experience you know this is important to you too you know getting out of the boat you know, fishing in general, safety considerations. So what is it that we need to make sure we're mindful of? What is it that we might not even know? And we'll take your insight about how to best make this happen and happen safely. Well, rays. Rays are, are the biggest fear in a lot of people. And even me, I, I, I think about rays all the time. Uh, 
I've been I've been lucky, and I feel like it's just because I've treated those rays, tried to treat them right most of my life, and and not hack them up, you know, and 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 you know throw them up on the bank to die, uh, you know, a little karma there, if you will, Gary. So rays are obviously the first concern, other than than getting dehydrated if it, if it's heating up and you really want to cover a flat. But um, with rays, you want to shuffle your feet. They call it the the stingray shuffle. So you'll kind of shuffle your feet. And that makes a disturbance on the bottom and that spooks the ray. It thinks something's coming for it. So it's going to move out of your way. Uh, I will say this. So I've had clients out and I've been around some rays. Well, I would, I would be fairly confident to say that I was around a ray last year that was actually being uh, defensive in its territory was being territorial and trying to run us off uh, because it was openly coming at us, but that's the only one that that's ever happened to most of the time. There'll be one that'll be curious and it'll come hang out and it'll stay away from me four or five feet, but it just kind of wants to like, Hey, what are you doing on my grass flat? You know, but the biggest thing to watch out for is stepping on them. And most of the time uh, it's going to be one of them little bitty rascals, you know, that you're going to step on. That's weird with the camera backwards, but it's going to be one of the little bitty guys that you're going to step on and he's young and he's like a little copperhead. He doesn't know, you're going to step on him and he's going to whip that tail and catch you in the ankle. So uh, if you're not comfortable barefoot doing it, then I would recommend getting some dive boots or, or wade shoes. But that's the main thing is stingrays. Another thing is if you're going to tote a stringer around, uh, <laughs> some of these grass flats that I fish, I've seen some pretty nice sized black tips and bull sharks on them. And they can get surprisingly shallow. I've lost some very, very nice trout to rather large sharks in surprisingly shallow water. I know that's going to turn a lot of people off, but I know that shark doesn't want to mess with me. So it's, it's not everybody's thing. And, and, you know, that's just the way it is. It's not everybody's thing, but it's my thing. And I like it and I want to share it with other people, but you got to watch out for, for them sharks, man. They're, they're, they're not as big of a threat to me as a ray. Uh, one of the solutions to that is if you're going to harvest the fish that you catch, have a stringer made that you can leave somewhere away from you and put those fish on instead of dragging the stringer behind you. Obviously crabs and oysters and stuff like that. That's another concern. Uh, you know, something unfortunately could happen. You could cut your foot on an oyster and bleed out. By God, I've cut my feet a lot and I just shove it in the mud, you know, that good old clean mud, you know, fill it up. But again, back to the wading boots or wading shoes with that or a pair of Keens or whatever, but the problem with like certain shoes is that as you move through the water, it makes more disturbance and it wears you down. Uh, the next thing that I would recommend is be mindful of your tide. Some days with certain wind directions, it can come in faster. Uh, so be mindful of your tide. Don't end up where you've got to swim across water with all your gear. It happens as part of wade fishing, but where you have to swim across a large, strong moving body of water to get back to your boat or kayak. Um, or just don't get out there where you get in chest deep water and you're like, man, my boat's still, you know, three, four, 500 yards away. So be mindful of the tide uh, and be mindful of where you're crossing. You know, you, you know, if you got strong current moving through an area and you're fishing that edge, but you really want to get over here, keep in mind what the tide's doing and that you've got to cross that deeper water to get there. And is it going to be deeper when you come back or is it going to be too deep for you when you go across? You know, you want to get your gear wet or something like that. Uh, other than that, I would I would make uh, preparations to have a water bottle with you because it, you can uh, get pretty thirsty out there like that, you know. So, 
you know, it brings to another gear topic. You, you might, if you really like doing it and it's something you like to do, they, they make specialized gear for weight fishing. Uh, carry your water and your tackle and, and you set your rod somewhere and all that stuff. So, Man, I kind of feel like I was just in a pharmaceutical commercial, man, where they tell me all the benefits of the drug and then they laundry list all the ways the drug's going to kill me. Man, I tell you what. Fishing is a drug, you know, we talk, we talk a lot about that, you know, were we better off to, to be fishing now, you know, after, after a lifetime of doing it, or would we have been better off to have gone down some dark road somewhere, you know, uh, <laughs> it's an addiction and something's going to get you at some point or another, but yeah, I guess that's a pretty good analogy there, like a far, oh yeah, take this, flip a door or whatever, it's good for this or that, but it might cause brain hemorrhaging or whatever, you know, that's <laughs> Good, good. So on the here, um, we're coming to the end of the podcast, but like, um, I like the idea that this is a charter that you provide. Like, I mean, you do the standard charters, you're throughout the year, your full-time guide, but this wade fishing is a charter that people can book you for. And so if I'm trying to picture that charter, how does like a half day go, man? Are we hitting, are we hitting a couple of flats because you will hit one to move on, hit another move on. Or is this a pretty big deal? So when you commit, you kind of commit, like on a half-day basis, not a full-day basis. Day, when you commit, you commit, Gary. The, the charters that I've run the last three or four years for wade fishing, uh, I'll pick an area based on wind direction and tide. We'll go to that area, and we will, two or three of us or four of us, will thoroughly cover that area throughout that half-day trip or even sometimes a three-quarter day, depending on the size of the area. And it is tide sensitive and it is wind sensitive. So it's hard to book some of those trips, but you, you may have to cover a lot of ground to get to the right spot. But how it's going to go is most of the time, I don't offer that standard. Like you just can't go to my website and click on half day wade fishing with Captain Joe. Uh, I like most of my people to call me and say, Hey, I'm interested in going wade fishing with you, you know, and then I'll ask you some questions or whatever. And I'll say, okay, well, we need to plan it out morning or evening. And then uh, most of the time, you're probably going to hit one spot in a half a day if wade fishing is your goal. Now, I will say that there has been days where we've got out and hit three or four spots on a three-quarter day, uh, and I could have probably hit two of those spots on a half day. But a lot of it depends on the clients and the conditions and what time frame that I have to work with when you want to run that charter. All right, last question. When you go into your memory bank about one of your favorite wade fishing catches, is it a trout or is it a red drum? It's trout, and it's actually the one that got away, Gary. For me, I, I, I forget all the nice fish that I've caught. That's why I have pictures and Facebook memories, but for me, it's always the one that got away. Um, I was... Um, this was actually, there's two of them, but the one I'm going to tell was actually last year. So I had these four guys that had been, three guys, they had been after me, you know, we've been looking for the right weather window. They wanted me to take them out. Uh, we got together, we went out, we were wade fishing. The wind didn't do exactly what it was supposed to for that spot. We were committed. We'd had a discussion. We decided to fish that flat. Um, all my guys lost a nice fish that day. We didn't catch a whole bunch of fish, but what we had was good quality. The tide was falling off of this grass flat, and there was a channel that runs out kind of on the end of it to another drop-off. And what the trout were doing 
and the drum as they were moving into that channel and following the water off of the flat and going by a little point of marsh island that had some oysters on it you know obviously which has sped the water up and made it a little deeper there and it, the wind had picked up the sun it was about probably getting on about the end of the time i like to fish for them in the morning probably probably around eight o'clock or so eight fifteen. the tide was right i watched the water lay out on top of the grass flat exactly right i got fired up i'm like guys the water looks great you know, I caught a nice male trout. I mean, it was like a 22, 23 inch male trout. And I was like, man, my guy caught a nice like 21, 22 inch male. I switched to to a one knocker bone, a bone one knocker by, by Eden. I throw it where that water's funneling over there. And, and you know, I'm working it across there. And about the second rip, this big girl just hammers this thing. And I watched it. This is the second time I've seen this happen. I watched she hit the top water from underneath at the uh, back of the plug, and it just rolled over top of her, like end over end, like three times. It's the second time I've seen that happen. She was big. She was she was definitely would have been one of my personal best fish. And you know, it's always the one that got away because. That's what I remember the most. And, and it was just really, the sun was rising up behind her. The water looked great. I saw all the pink and silver in her scales. And I watched that top water just roll across her back. And, and she actually came back and nudged it one more time. And then I let it sit, twitch, 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 let it sit, and then worked it. And she was gone. I had missed my window of opportunity. Man, that was a, uh, I think that's an excellent way to end this podcast on, man. I've enjoyed that story. I've enjoyed this conversation. And I mean it when I say, Joe, I'm already looking forward to next time. All right, Gary. I'll have to get you to come wait fishing with me next. I'm in. I'm, despite the pharmaceutical commercial, I am completely 100% in. <laughs> Every good drug's got side effects, man. I, I agree. You can, any way it can get you, might as well get me that way, man. I'm in. There you go. All right. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Billy, <laughs> what are you going to pick? Oh God, <laughs> Where do you start <laughs> with Billy's best takeaway with the Joe Tunstall podcast? Dude, I, here, here's all I have to say. <laughs> it's a bomb job, man. I'm sitting, I mean, I literally just pages and pages of notes, and I'm like, Bankcaster, topwater, gold spoons, drum flats, dropping off. I mean, I'm just taking notes because the way I don't know, man. Forget the whole episode. The last 40 minutes is my takeaway. I know the, the emotional roller coaster. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Sharks? No, I'm, no, I'm out. <laughs> Wait, the little rays? Oh, I gotta look out for the little rays. Damn, I thought. All right, I, I can spot a big ray. Oh, but it's the little ones. Yeah, it's kind of like the big dogs. I'm not afraid of the big dog, but the little dogs, you got to be nervous. You can't get them, you know, they're too small. It's like little rays, and then, oh, by the way, those black fins. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. And then he got me back talking about fishing. And then he, like, told They'll me. They'll be grabbing the fish. You just got to poke them in the eye, and then they'll swim off, man. You just don't give them the fish because you give them one fish, and then they're going to come back for the rest. So you just poke them in the eye. Yeah. Yeah, and then like then you guys get me back on track, and I'm back into it, 
And then you tell this freaking heartbreak story right at the end. I'm almost in tears trying to figure out how I'm going to come back on camera when I'm crying over Joe's fish. It ain't my stupid fish. And I'm like, God, man. Like, but I'm with him, man. The ones you don't catch, like as far as like in the memory bank, man, you know, the ones you caught are neat and tidy memories. The ones you don't catch are the ones that sort of linger a little bit more. Man, yeah. uh, again, great conversation. It was great, man. There's a lot of them out there I haven't caught. I hadn't seen them either, but <laughs> you have lots of memories. <laughs> lots of failed fishing memories. We're gonna start a new podcast. You're rich. Here. You are rich. In Joe Tunstall's world, you are rich with memories. <laughs> yeah, man. That's good dude, good guy. I mean, yeah, I mean, the whole episode. Probably like I said, I just dropped that bomb sound effect, like, because that was it, dude. I was sitting here like, I'm not gonna come up with one, like the whole episode. I was on the edge of my seat, literally. It was awesome. So you're ready to go get a Joe Tunstall tattoo as well. Exactly. Right on my See? neck. I'm not even going to hide it under the sleeve <laughs> or my pants. I'm going to get it right on my neck. It's right there. This a hundred bucks. <laughs> that tattoo is going to cost me like I'll pay for the tattoo and give you a hundred bucks. <laughs> no way. No way, dude. No. <laughs> It's not worth it. All right, man. Well, appreciate our our uh, <laughs> dude talking about this marine warehouse. We want me to get a tattoo on my head or something. <laughs> hundred bucks. Hundred bucks. I mean, they would too. They paid me hundred bucks. Oh god. Well, go support Marine Warehouse Center. Go support Bland Landscaping Co. We really appreciate this guy's sponsor show. And if you're not calling Joe right now, booking a trip, then you're out of your mind. I don't even know, like. What else to say? Because I'm over here going, all right, when are we going? When are we going? Can I get on one of those dairy trips? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So anyway, man, awesome show, Gary. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Got me fired up. I'm not going to be able to sleep. Yeah, man. Thanks to both our sponsors, Bland Landscape and Marine Warehouse Center. Thanks for all you do, Billy. Thanks to Joe for being a great guest tonight. We're enjoying the journey of the Saltwater Podcast series and looking forward to next week. Yep. Sounds good, man. See you. Yeah.